Welcome to the Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm the Dyad, and this is Dinosaur. Take my voice for a spin again this week and see how it goes. I still have an intermittent cough, but overall I'm feeling much better. Thanks for bearing with me last episode for the little change up. As for the prep work I did for last week's show, I still haven't decided what I'm going to do with it. Utopia Nemo suggested posting them as show notes, which is tempting, but I might still try to spin it into a full show somehow down the line. I'm not sure yet. Another top of the show item that I wanted to talk about is um, I wanted to say thanks to Michael of Forever Sound Version podcast fame for the cool retro games magazine that he sent me. I did some light reading in between naps the past week while I was sick, and it's a pretty cool publication. Um, 
I think my favorite thing that I've read so far is a review of an upcoming Genesis game. I was actually watching a YouTube video yesterday. Um, I think his channel is called the 8-Bit Guy, maybe? And he did um, a review of a couple of modern releases for old-school hardware. It's something that I'm kind of getting interested in, and I might try and do a focus on them. Sort of like Neo Retro, but in kind of a kind of a different and unique way. You know, original hardware, something like Retro City Rampage is uh, evocative of the old school feeling, but it still plays on Steam. It's something totally different to actually go back and, you know, pop in your NES cartridge. Anyway, just wanted to say thanks again. Um, also, if you haven't listened to his show yet, I highly recommend that you do. It's one of my must-listen-tos every week, and as a matter of fact, on his most recent episode, there's a cameo from me, the Dyad. Um, it's, uh, I think, episode number 35. It's a Super Nintendo focus. It's got some pretty cool tracks and some interesting commentary, which of course is uh, typical for the show. So check it out. As for the track bringing us in this week, it's called Exciting Shop from the Nihon Falcom dungeon crawler RPG called Dinosaur. The game gets its title from an eponymous final boss and not from the great thunder lizards of the Jurassic era. The soundtrack is composed by Meiko Ishikawa and or Masaki Kawai, and this is the FM Towns version. The game itself only appeared on Japanese computer platforms, the PC-8898 and FM Towns. Apparently the game is known in Japan as a more dark and serious take on RPGs. It was directed by Kaunari Tomi, who went on to work on the two lunar games for the Sega CD. The combat in the game is represented like a sort of card game, but from what I saw it's almost unnecessary. It zips through and fights only take a few seconds really. It's sort of like the card game War. Why bother? Apparently the game saw a reboot in 2002 appearing on Windows. It improved the graphics and interface, and featured a few more additions. The screenshots I saw made it look sort of like, I don't know, a blend of maybe a turn of the century FPS with the same kind of anime style card graphics as the original. I'm not a huge fan of this style of game. I don't really like the, I don't know, the first person maze crawling RPGs, but if you like the Western-style RPG with a Japanese writing sensibility and flair, then maybe this one is for you to check out. Next up is a double feature. It's coming from the Nintendo game Mission Impossible. Um, the track titles I have I'm not sure are accurate, but first it'll be the Syrinx Temple, then Switzerland 02. It's composed by Jun Funahashi, credited as Dogman, and Yoshiyuki Hagiwara, credited as Hagin, with like one, two, three, four, four eyes. Anyway, take it away.
Mission Impossible is a 1990 top-down stealth game for the NES, developed by Konami and published by Ultra Games. See episode 32 for more on Ultra. Not only does this game play similarly to Konami's earlier Metal Gear, it even uses the same engine, or as much as an engine as you can have in the NES days, I guess. You put on disguises to sneak past bad guys, and you can take control of three different characters. The game is based on the 1988 TV series Revival, but let's start at the beginning. Mission Impossible is an American TV series which follows a team of top-secret government spies known as the Impossible Missions Force, or IMF. The show originally aired on CBS from 1966 all the way to 1973. Other than the iconic theme song, the other most recognized piece of the show is the self-destructing taped mission instructions. Probably most people out there have heard the phrase, your mission should you choose to accept it, capped with a, this message will self-destruct. Both had their roots in the Mission Impossible series. The original leader of the IMF was Dan Briggs. He was played by the actor Stephen Hill. Hill was an Orthodox Jew and the show needed to be shot around his restricted schedule. Apparently the filming interruptions became hard to work around. And on top of that, Hill shot a number of, uh, let's just say, physically demanding action scenes and he eventually began refusing to participate in any more of them. He I think I read he um, like locked himself in his trailer and refused to come out. Based on a combination of those things, he was replaced without explanation after the first season. The new leader was Jim Phelps, played by Peter Graves. In 1988, American TV was experiencing a writer's strike. Members of both the Writers Guild of America East and Writers Guild of America West joined against major TV and film studios. The strike itself lasted 155 days, which remains the longest strike in the Guild's history. But as a result of the strike, TV studios couldn't commission new scripts. Instead, they looked to see what they had lying around in their vaults. This led to the reboot, or maybe just plain revival, of Mission Impossible. They mostly used the old scripts, but they updated them for the Roaring 80s. Peter Graves returned to play Jim Phelps, but the rest of the cast was brand new. Lasting only two seasons, it's not exactly clear why Konami picked up this IP for a video game. I guess it makes sense that they wanted an easy copy-paste face for their spy game, but from what I read, the 80s version of the show departed a bit from the true spy storytelling of the original. And that trend continued with the 90s movies playing out more like action thrillers. I've personally seen the first 30 minutes of the Tom Cruise version like three or four times, but never made it beyond that. Um, of course, I was only like 12 or 13 when the movie came out, so... Maybe that had something to do with my mm, impatience. Next is a pretty different game and a pretty different song. From the game Papo and Yo, composed by Brian de Oliveira for the PC, this track is called A Strange New World. 
Papo and Yo tackles a pretty heavy subject matter and something that I can't really recall seeing in other games. The game centers around a Brazilian child named Cuico, who is constantly followed by a monster. For the most part, the monster is peaceful, but whenever he sees a poisonous green frog, he has no choice but to eat it, and it sends him into a rage, hurting everyone in sight. The game is an allegory of the creator, Vander Caballero's own childhood, and his relationship with his deceased, abusive, alcoholic father. In the game world, you must navigate puzzles with the monster constantly at your side. Further anchoring the game to Brazil, Cuico begins the game hiding in a closet from his drunken father. Inside he sees a chalk outline that ends up leading him into a fantasy world, a world that acts like a dreamlike favela. A favela is the Portuguese word for slum, but it's used essentially synonymously with the shantytown situated on the outskirts of large cities like Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo. Allegedly, the name comes from the time of the Brazilian Civil War of 1897. Soldiers camped on the hills where the thorny favela plants grew and made temporary housing from shacks. When soldiers returned to Rio de Janeiro, they settled again on the forest hillsides, waiting to be granted the land that they were promised. Their makeshift living conditions were akin to the earlier favela hills, and the term eventually stuck. The favelas grew again in the late 1800s when Brazil abolished slavery. Former slaves were displaced and gathered in more of these makeshift cities. Really boiling it down, it seems like favelas are the bowl that catches all these that are squeezed out. Migrants and poor people getting the worst of it. Rocinha is the largest favela in Brazil, located in southern Rio de Janeiro. It's built on a steep mountainside overlooking the city and close to the beach. As of the 2010 census, almost 70,000 people live there, but during the 2000s, that number was estimated to be between 150,000 and 300,000. I would say that this is probably what people picture if they're familiar with the term favela, Racina is even featured in the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 game in a map simply called Favela. A decidedly indie game, Papo and Yo was released for the PS3 over the PlayStation Network system. It came out in 2012 and later saw a port to Windows through Steam. That's how I first became familiar with the game. The soundtrack is composed by Brian de Oliveira, and as you can probably tell, it features some Brazilian influences. I've listened to a few songs so far, and I'm definitely hooked. I think I'll probably feature something else in the future from the game, but, you know, I kind of say that about almost every game I play from. Kind of makes sense. I like the music, that's why I put it on the show. I want to come back to it. I guess, given enough time, I'll just play every game song that is ever made. Right? Math checks out. The game is incredibly well-reviewed, and Steam has it riding at a 95% positive. If you want to experience a video game that takes a realistic look at real relationships through the lens of a magical world, check it out. It's now on my list to play myself. Anyway, 
Moving on, I'll be playing something from the Genesis. From the game Wolf Child, the track Wolf Ship from the Genesis Mega Drive, composed by Martin Iveson. its life as an Amiga and Atari ST release by Core Design in 1992. It was later ported to a number of home consoles including the Genesis. Interestingly, the Sega CD got their version a full year before the Genesis. Because of the space limitations, the CD quality soundtrack was ditched, but I think I prefer what we're listening to now. In any event, the only universally praised aspect of the game is the soundtrack. The game is an action platformer revolving around the character Saul Morrow. When his father Cal is kidnapped by the evil Chimera organization, Saul uses his father's invention to turn himself into a wolf-human hybrid. And please don't confuse this with the werewolf, they're different, okay? As for Chimera, the term comes from the three-headed monster of Greek mythology. A clear reference to the hybrid animal theme of the game, the original Chimera was said to be a fire-breathing creature with the body and head of a lion, a goat's head rising from its back, the udders of a goat, and a serpent for a tail. Some writers believe that the Chimera was a metaphor for the Lycian volcano. Beyond the original, the term chimera has come to describe any mythical or fictional animal with parts taken from various animals, or even just to describe something composed of mismatched parts. Hybrid creatures are pretty much standard fare for mythology, so it gets tossed around a bit. 
Beyond that, a genetic chimerism or chimera can refer to a single organism composed of cells from different zygotes. Uh, for example, an organism with both female and male sex organs or blood cells of two different blood types or subtle variations in form. This scientific take on the word also kind of plays with the wolf child plot. It seems like a decent platformer and the music is pretty rockin'. Um, I have to revisit the Amiga OST. I know I've heard something from it, but I can't really remember it right now. Anyway, next we're going to be moving to the Super Famicom. A Japanese exclusive game, this track comes from Seima Juden, Beasts and Blades. Composed by Tsukasa Masugo and Abu-san, this track is called Amusement Park. Seima Juden, Beasts and Blades, or roughly translated, 
Sacred Beast Magic Legend Beasts and Blades is an isometric tactics RPG developed by Geofactory and published by Bulletproof Software in December of 1995. A Japan-only release, I read that the inspiration from the game came from a write-in letter campaign to create an idea for a video game hosted by the gaming magazine Dengeki Super Famicom. I had a hard time finding much more information about the game beyond that, actually. But I personally love tactics RPGs, and I've decided to give this one a shot. Um, I picked up a complete inbox copy from eBay for less than $20. As of the recording of this episode, it still hasn't arrived, but maybe some updates to come later. As for Dengeki Super Famicom, it's a Super Famicom-focused monthly periodical, not Alan, published by ASCII MediaWorks. According to Retromags.com, the magazine first went on sale in December of 1992. When the Nintendo 64 was released, the magazine's name was updated to Dengeki Nintendo 64. This was again changed in 2001 after the launch of the Game Boy Advance when it was changed to Dengeki GB Advance. And again in 2002, it was renamed to Dengeki GameCube. It might surprise you to learn that the name changed again in April of 2006, this time to Dengeki Nintendo DS. Starting with the May 2012 issue, the magazine was retitled Dengeki Nintendo for Kids and was eventually renamed to its current title Dengeki Nintendo with the June 2013 issue. I'm sure they'll never change the name again. There's also a sister publication focusing on Sony products called Dengeki PlayStation. Luckily for them, the PlayStation just tacks a number on at the end, so they don't really have to change the name of the magazine. The cover art for the magazine is pretty cool. It's obvious to me that it's either done by the same person or at the very least in the same style. It's not super anime-y, but it definitely looks like it comes from a Japanese artist. My personal favorite is the cover to the March 24th issue with what I am pretty sure features former WWF wrestler The Undertaker. From what I've heard so far, the soundtrack to the game is pretty cool. If I end up playing the game at some point at all, maybe I can grab some more tracks to feature. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. A bit of a return to form, but I didn't plunge in anything too deep. Thanks again to Michael. Now that I'm back on the recovery trail, I'm going to see about getting him to appear on this podcast. Before I go, as always, special thanks to Alan Euler, a.k.a. Periodical, not a.k.a. ASCII Media Works, for mixing and editing the show. You can follow the show at thediadpresents.blogspot.com, where I will also post the track list for the show. You can subscribe via your favorite podcatcher, and please don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. You should rate at least one podcast that you listen to on iTunes. doesn't have to be mine, but it'll help somebody and make their day very happy. You can follow me on Twitter at The Dyad, and you can email me at thediadpresents at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page and group you can find by searching for the name of the show or just by at The Dyad. Until next time, from the Amiga, composed by Jochen Hippel. Oof, some of these names I am just not, 
not doing justice. From the game A Prehistoric Tale, this is the main theme. (laughs) 